Welcome to After the Buzzer. This is Ian Busby coming at you. This is the post-Halloween edition of the podcast, being that uh, I was out trick-or-treating with the kids, and uh, usually the time that we would break down the week's action, uh, we're busy. And then uh, Danny was traveling, and uh, we didn't catch up until today, which is November 2nd. But we did on a good time because the Stamps have made a big move, bringing in receiver Reggie Bagleton. He'll play the last couple of weeks of the season, then get ready for the playoffs. Uh, it's a big move. Um, we go over it, uh, Danny and I, how important this is. Um, they've now The Stamps have now addressed their biggest need. The Riders did the same. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers did the same by getting a kicker and another defensive back. Everybody's loading up for a playoff run, and it feels like the West playoffs are going to be wild and crazy and a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. Maybe not so much looking forward to the next few weeks of this season, but uh, they still have to be played out, and it's football, so we're enjoying it. Uh, this is a uh, a good show. I feel like we've had uh, we're having some fun with this. Uh, hopefully, you are too. Um, not to put much ado onto it. Here we go, Danny and I. Chatting about the big Reggie Bigleton signing and how it went down, which is kind of funny. Uh, if you like media, um, you're going to enjoy the start of this chat conversation. So, Danny, one thing about uh, this day and age, and you probably don't do it, is uh, you don't get the Wi-Fi on the airplanes, do you? So, <laughs> so you step on an airplane. And suddenly it's official that Reggie Bagleton is coming back to Calgary and you get, uh, oh, right. You get, you get to land and find out there's been a bunch of news that's broken. Has this happened to you quite a bit this year where uh, whenever you're in an airplane, uh, something happens and, and you get uh, left out of, you know, telling it first and all that type of stuff. It's not just airplanes. Um, so as I said, like I, I had a, a pretty good inkling, but. Oh, right, you went hiking, and you went hiking out to the mountains with no That's Wi-Fi. Friend. Like, I'm not kidding. This dates back years. Like, this dates back to, like, 2017. Like, I go out of reception, and, like, what I'm not going to do is get on a phone and on the odd – or get on an airplane and on the odd possibility that something comes out, just, like, have Wi-Fi just in case. Right. Like, I, I read – It's a charge that a, a newspaper writer like you can't afford, Right. So. Well, it's not that I can't afford it. It's that, like, I deserve a day off. Um, yeah, you, for, the four-hour flight home is always like, okay, this is going to be, or whatever it was from Ottawa. Yeah, you sleep for a little bit, and then I, like, I was, I got 130 pages of the book I'm reading down. Like, that's, like, the joy. It is worth noting that, like, I actually had a layover in Winnipeg, so it came out between Ottawa and Winnipeg, which is still two and a half hours. And, like, so I, yeah. I landed, and, well, Reggie Bagleton had signed. And I, I I'm not going to say I knew 100%, but, like, I had an inkling. I like, I didn't know that it was going to be yesterday, but I, you know, it, it, it made all the sense in the world. And I may have sort of been in some conversations with people who were like, it's coming. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, I missed it, but it like, look, I don't really care. Anyone who knows me, look, if you think the one in a hundred story that I'm not on right away, it's like, well, when it comes to the Stampeders, the 99 others, you know, yeah, I'm the guy. <laughs> It just makes me laugh because every time you, because I texted you right before you're getting on the plane to Ottawa and we were trying to schedule this meeting. And, and then it was like, and I said, don't worry, I think some news is going to break. And it was like, ha ha ha. Yeah. And then suddenly, yeah, the biggest news broke because I think when a few weeks ago you had mentioned 
among the guys who could come back from the NFL and make an impact, Reggie Bagleton was number one, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, I think that if you look and like that was that was within the context of this season, right? So, I mean, of the NFL guys, I, and I think that there are ten from 2018 and 2019. Um, so, you know, Winton McManus is still down there. Nate Hawley is still down there. Alex Singleton obviously is still down there. James Waters, Mark and Michelle. Um, so I was wow, saying, like, sounds like an all-star team, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, it's amazing. But they already got Jameer Thurman back. So, and yeah. I think Jameer, I would have had Jameer right up there with with Reggie as far as like going in the offseason. What are the stamps if the stamps could pick Jameer? They also had Deshaun Amos come back, who is in a bit of a he was left out of the lineup, but I think Deshaun Amos has been terrific and it is so important and he 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 just grades out so high. Um, but look, you look at the Stampeders team, the offensive line, you don't have a problem. Running back, you certainly don't have a problem. The defense, there's not a hole on that defense right now. That's like an exceptional defensive line. You can argue that potentially, look, if you can get a guy like James Vodders back, Vodders is one of those guys who didn't actually, like his numbers didn't pop off in the CFL. He was very good. And then he got to the NFL and you're like, oh, that that, that might have been the best player on, on the 2018 Calgary Stampeders. You know, like, he's an exceptional talent and you're not going to turn a guy like that down. But Reggie is that through the middle receiver. He's fast. He runs routes well. He can take contact and get an extra couple yards. He like he's a, as he's the embodiment of, in my opinion, like like what the Stampeders need at a receiver. And I'm not saying all the receivers have been bad, but I think that there's been something missing. And all of a sudden, you put Reggie Bagleton back into this. And I mean, I said it on Twitter. I honestly think that this this could be. I'm not saying it will be, but it could be a a championship picture. Like it, it could be. This could tilt that a little bit because. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about how how the Stamps now stack up with that Winnipeg team. But the offense, and particularly the aerial threat, has not always been there for the Stampeders this year. And you just got a guy who was top three in both receiving yards and touchdowns for the Stampeders in 2019. And then rightfully, like, he didn't just go to the NFL and get a training camp. Like, he was practice roster for a full year and right back for year two. We know there's politics involved. I think he could play in the NFL. But... um I, you know, right now you can you can tell me that in, that Reggie Bayleton is the best receiver in the West Division. You can tell me he's the best receiver in the league, and I wouldn't tell you you were crazy. Right, and that they also got Trey Roberson back two weeks ago, so that you know things are starting to fall in place for the the whole thing about the whole knock on the Stampeders was for the coming into this season was they're victims of their own success. They lose all these players because they develop and. Uh, they developed guys who can go to the NFL and you just listed a bunch of them. And now some of those guys are coming back and I know it's only this year for Bagleton, but if he can, if he doesn't get any interest back in the uh, next off season, well then he could come back and looking forward. Like uh, the, the one weakness I've heard about the stamps all year was all oh, their receivers. Nobody scares you. Well, now, now well, Kamar Jordan, scares, Jordan <laughs> scares anybody, but um it was that and secondary option. Such a, yeah. Such an injury yeah. question with them. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think that like, to be clear, like, I mean, me saying, like, I'm not saying that I necessarily think when I say Reggie was the most important potential signing, I'm not, I'm not saying uh, I, I think he's any better than any of those other guys than those Alex Singletons. My thing is you look at Trey Roberson, the Stampeders strengthened a position of strength. Their DB group right. has already been very, very good, particularly uh, since Labor Day when they had an awful game, and they've really locked in and they've really been good. Um, it's a good problem to have. They they signed, uh, uh, you know, a, a great boundary corner. Um, you know, one of the best talents in the league. I just the reason why I was saying Bagleton over a guy like Trey is 
as you said, that's all we've heard about the Stampeders all year. They don't yeah. have those playmakers. They don't have those proven playmakers. They maybe don't have those consistent playmakers because I do think that Marky Thambles, Josh Hoff, I think those guys have been um, very good for the Stampeders this year. Um, but, you know, the counter to that is Mar Jordan and Reggie Bagleton have excelled in the same position. Like, it's that, <laughs> that slot receiver. Um, that So I, I do think that the Stampeders are going to have to figure out a little bit what to do. I mean, it's if you put Reggie back, he knows the system. He's he's played that inside slot. You put him back in there and move KJ, maybe that's a better option. But also, Kamar Jordan's been your best playmaker. He was leading the league in receiving yards before he missed a couple games because of an injury. He's still up there. I think he's top five. If not, he's top seven. So, um, you know, competition's never a bad thing, but I, I don't necessarily know. And I, I'm saying this because I spoke to Dave Dickinson this morning. I, I don't necessarily know that the Stampeders have it figured out. And what Dave said to me was he was like, look, it's a bye week. We've got to reach out to the guys this impacts because you sign a new guy, it does impact other players. Right. And uh, so I, you know, I'm a little bit resistant to speculating too much, but I do imagine it's probably Marquise Ambles, who again is top 10 in receiving cards in the league. Because right. you know, I don't think you're putting Reggie out at a wide receiver spot. No. And the thing is, it, I think it goes back to the, it reminds me of the mid 2000s when it was Copeland and Lewis and then Rambo. Um, all three of those guys and Rambo was often the fifth receiver, the, the rebel that would come in and it would just be, you know, a wealth of riches kind of thing. But those guys all managed to get their touches and get their yards and the offense thrives because of it. It's just a matter of figuring out how, how to make everybody happy. And I think, I don't feel like these guys are going to be upset with winning and not getting as much, you know, yardage or touches as they used to. Um, because ultimately, uh, you, you make the money in the in the playoffs and going to the Grey Cup, and they understand that. So this, I think everyone on the stamps is pretty overjoyed that they're getting Bagleton back because it just strengthens their chances. Because now we're looking at the playoff race as, you know, it's a Saskatchewan in the first round, Winnipeg in the second round, and then you get to the Grey Cup. So we know what it is. Saskatchewan won this past weekend, and I mean, I I said it on Twitter, but I think that the Riders needed to lose that game. Um, yeah. For the stamps to have any shot, the, the you, you don't feel good about the Elks coming in and beating them twice. So I, no, well, exactly right. Like they need to lose two or three for it to be um, a possibility for the stamps, and that's not happening. So yeah, so we, you know, I could probably book my at least my flight to Saskatchewan, and they, they have to beat those riders. But you know, the riders, it's it's one of those interesting things where you look and it's like, okay, well, the riders loaded like each team has sort of made their move, right? I mean, the Bombers went got Winston Rose. Well, also Castillo. I mean, the Bombers fixed the, their big hole was kicking. Yeah. Um, and they did it. But then they also got Winston Rose, who is deserves – him and Trey Roberson were the two best camp boundaries. I'll say Trey. I covered Trey. Um, that's sort of my pick for 2019. But that's those are two great signings. That, that's a team getting better. Obviously, the, the Riders went out, got Duke Williams. And it's like, well, I think Reggie Bagleton and Trey Roberson – combined are probably better and i i it wouldn't I, I think it's probably a little bit late i think if there was a move coming um it would have to happen over the next couple of days like a move to really really strengthen the stampeders team for the rest of the year but i know they're in conversations with some of these other nfl guys like it's not out of the realm of possibility that the stamps are, are going to um, sign them and what that says about the stampeders and i think it's interesting it's not a you know duke williams didn't go back to edmonton um yeah. but when the stamps were starting that build, moving from that 
strong, strong, strong sort of mid 2010s core and pat and, and loading up for the next generation. They did so well that all of these guys went to the NFL. Like they were, yeah. they weren't supposed to have to bring in, you know, like Singleton Thurman, they probably knew, but like they weren't supposed to have to bring in replacements and now they're getting those guys back. So I think that you go back to, you can start saying, well, this team is going to start looking the way they thought they were going to look when they were planning it out, who they were signing, who they were drafting in 2017, 2018. And I think that's the Stampeders should feel very good about themselves, whether it results in them winning the Grey Cup this year or not. But I now think that they're a Grey Cup contender. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's why I'm, I'm excited for the playoffs, not necessarily excited for the next few weeks of games. Um, and we've had, you know, some so-so games, some decent games. I mean, Toronto beating BC in overtime, it was just a bit of a, like, what? Toronto can't crush BC like the way that uh, the other teams in the West have? Now, Toronto pulls out that victory. So you feel like, okay, the East is still up for grabs kind of thing. We know what the, the deal is, is going to be in the West, right? So um, it, it often happens in the CFL with the, so few teams that you know, the last few weeks of the season are just prepping for the playoffs. And well, I feel like... I think there's a bigger question with the Toronto game, though, because it just doesn't make sense watching McLeod Bethel Thompson the last two years or last two games. It doesn't. Yeah. I, and I don't know that Arbuckle is a solution, but for me, it's like I look at it and I say, okay, so wait, this guy's convinced you this year that he is your quarterback for the futures to the point where in a year where you're in a playoff fight, may have to go on the road, but also may win the East and may get to have a home game and then one game and you're in the Grey Cup. You trade your backup quarterback in that situation? Like your Nick Arbuckle, who yeah. you thought was the starter at the beginning of the year? I, I, To me, that it just reeks of there's a financial thing there. And it could be that, you know, they have to stay under the cap and, and saving that, you know, potentially $30,000. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but that right. little bit of money. How much, how much um, of it they would have saved? It would have been helpful. But Yeah, and just pushes – and like – some people are like, well, they don't save that much. It's like, well, they save something. And like, you have to stay under the cap. It can be saved $10, but if you're $10 over the cap, you got to get under. Um, right. But I, I just, with the Argos, it, that game against BC, first of all, I just didn't think McLeod Bethel Thompson looked great. Um, you'd never know that from, you know, the CFL Twitter account where they're like, you know, going nuts over it. But I will also say, I mean, I don't know. Like Dinwiddie's a good coach. I, I like you got to finish that game off in regulation. Like you had the ball with what fifty seconds left. You just run the ball a couple times, get a first down, and the game's over. Um, I, I'm I'm baffled by some of the clock management uh, in these games. Um, I, I literally like, I was I was waiting for a friend like who I was staying with in Ottawa, and I was just waiting like you know you give people time so they don't have to hang out with you twenty four hours a day. But she was just like showering, getting ready. So I just like literally popped in at a bar for the second half of two beers. And I like literally saw it. I paid up, sent out a tweet about what it meant for the Stampeders, walked out and left. And then I looked at my phone like 15 seconds, well, three minutes later. And someone was like, man, you, you, you probably got to get, get rid of that tweet. The game's not over. The Lions have the ball back. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> uh, um, uh, yeah. Well, but, and yeah. seeing, I'm, I'm also – uh, now I'm, I'm blanking on which game it was, but there was another onside kick with 128 left on the clock. Like, kick it deep. I don't, uh, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, don't these people know that you can get the ball back if you kick deep and you know, mm -hmm. two plays and out? That's only 40 seconds. So, yeah. 
It's, well, it's yeah. funny. So I actually agreed a little bit, and I understand. So Jeff Hamilton in Winnipeg had tweeted after the Lions shut out the Stamps, or Lions shut out, I apologize, the Lions. He had tweeted, like, this probably takes a little bit of the shine off what the Stamps did to the Lions, which, like, it's just, we all know what you're doing with that tweet. You're trying to ruffle some feathers a little bit, and that, that's perfectly fine. But it also isn't necessarily, like, if you're sitting there in Winnipeg and your team's lost one game, hasn't allowed any fourth quarters, and all you're hearing about is the Stamps because of the way that they dominated the Lions, yeah, it's okay yeah. to say that. Like, hey, look, we, we, look how we dominated them. Still only one, there's still only one team here. Come on. Um, but I do think that the way that the Argos struggled a little bit with the Lions, I think it puts the shine back on the Stamps and the Bombers and sort of suggests that, like, we're getting to a point where there's two and a half, because I do think we have to, we can't rule the Riders out, especially at home in a West semifinal. But, yeah. like, on some level, like, there are, it, it would appear that there are two and a half real real contenders here um and i i don't know and i think that's the stamps and bombers and i I, i've said this to you before but like i really really wish that we got a that the schedule makers and it's not their fault i'm not criticizing anyone but like i wish that we got a mid-october stamps bombers game or like later as opposed to last game of the season when the bombers are going to arrest everybody the stamps at that point if they beat the lions and the lions lose this week i mean like we may be at that point where it doesn't mean anything with the stamps either, and they don't want to show their cards. That may be a completely meaningless game, right? Other than the stamps wanting to stay above five hundred, right? The uh, the one thing is when you made that schedule at the start of the year, you looked at Winnipeg versus Calgary in the the final week of the season and thinking that could be for first place um, because I don't think we expected Winnipeg to be this dominant, and we didn't expect the stamps to stumble along and you know, a couple games here and there, you would have said, okay, that's going to be for first place, but you can't predict these things. You never know. Uh, yeah. And Winnipeg got onto a, a good role and they've been on a, on a great role ever since what October something of in 2019, they've been on a roll. So they picked up. Yeah. I mean, let's very quickly just, and I'm, I'm pulling it up here. No need to pretend that I'm doing anything other than that. Well, the, uh, the thing we're is, gonna do it. Uh, September 18, Winnipeg beats Edmonton. October 1st, Winnipeg beats BC. October 8, <laughs> Winnipeg beats Edmonton. October 15th, Winnipeg beats Edmonton. October 23rd, Winnipeg beats the BC Lions. Let us keep in mind who their opponents have been. They've been. Oh, teams you're, talking, yeah, you're talking about this season. Yes, of course. <laughs> Neither of those teams won another game since Labor Day. I genuinely don't know. I'm not, I'm not looking at it, but this whole like historical. Well, Edmonton's dominance, lost everything since Labor Day and BC has been in a tailspin. I assume they've lost everything since at least like mid-September. I mean, they've been bad. I know that they lost that game to the Riders and it really sort of like bottomed out since then. But like this whole this whole narrative, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers deserve to be respected as the best team in this league. And to be perfectly honest, if they somehow finish 13 and one, you know, that's where the Stampeders were at after 14 games in 2017, I believe. That's not, it's not unprecedented, but they undeniably deserve the respect. But until they win that second grade cup in a row, like a little bit of perspective on who they've been smashing and who they've been keeping up this historical pace against matters. Right. Because, uh, yeah, they beat the Riders twice in a row over in the Labor Day games. The Stampeders also beat the Riders twice in a row. Like, yeah. 
three games against Edmonton and two against BC. So yes, their schedule has been solved. Bombers are are the number one team in the league. I'm just saying that if we look since over the last six weeks, it's 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 awfully close. Yeah, uh, yeah. BC's last win is September 18th against Montreal, and yeah, ever since then they've been just getting well. Other than this past weekend, getting crushed. So. Yeah. And I look at, at Saturday, November 6th, that's this upcoming Saturday, I look at them against Montreal and I think, okay, cool. That's a Montreal team that's going to come out desperate. If if the Bombers roll over them, then, I mean, whoa, Winnipeg's favored by 12 points? Yes, Bet Regal has them at 12-point favorites. I just don't it, – it's hard to imagine they're going to come out and just throw the hammer down, but maybe they will. Uh, they're coming off a bye week, so – they're coming off of my week, and it's fine. If hey, look, if they win by 13 points, if they cover, that's a that's a hell of an accomplishment. But that that shows the respect because the Riders are playing the Elks, who have been absolutely terrible, and the Riders are only favored by six. Meanwhile, the Bombers, who you know are obviously first place in the in the West, are facing. Well, that's so funny that the Alouettes are now third at six and five. Either way. That, that should not be a 12-point line. If I bet, which I never will do and I never do, but if I did, I'd, I might take the, uh, take the under there. Well, I yeah, I would take Montreal to cover that spread because it, like they, as you said, they've got Winnipeg twice and they're in the desperation to get into a home playoff game. They're going to be in the playoffs, whether it's um, third or second. It feels like first is kind of not achievable for them right now. But Well, I, I, don't, I don't know. But I'm assuming that we see Trevor Harris starting for Montreal in that game, right? You would think he played the like the last quarter and a bit or so, whatever. You acquired him for a reason. It, it's it's probably you probably got to roll with Trevor Harris, and he, you know we've talked many times over the over the season about how I don't think Trevor Harris is an elite CFL quarterback, right? But I think he may give you a better chance to win than than Schultz or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, 12, 12 point <laughs> underdogs for that. Uh, they're they're giving Winnipeg a lot of respect. So, and the, let's be honest, the, the Winnipeg fans are betting that heavy anyway. So, um, they're they're the ones that are driving that line. That's, that's all I'm saying is that that's two teams. Like I think Montreal is good. I'm not saying they're great, but I think they're good. Versus, I think like it's shocking to me that that line is bigger than the Riders Elks line where like it would appear to me that the Elks have decided that they don't want to play football anymore. Right. Oh, they, they are hundred percent. And then they're going to have three games in seven days and wait till those three games go through. Yeah. Now I pray uh, that they don't put Nick Arbuckle in. I know that you acquired him for a reason, but like give him more than a week to do to come in for that. Yeah. Well, it feels like that's going to be their only thing to roll with in the last four games is to see what our Arbuckle has for you. And the one thing that I, the criticism that Edmonton was taking on this trade was, Oh, can't you believe you got rid of one guy and brought in another guy? I'm like, well, he's six years younger and feels like has more upside. So yes, I would make that trade for Edmonton. And the argument that they, he's a free agent at the end of the year, everybody's a free agent at the end of the year. There's hardly anybody signed for next year. And he did re-up for, he re-upped yesterday, I believe through 2022. That deal was a no brainer for me. Like, oh my, yeah. you can actually go get a quarterback who you can, like, a lot of people around this league. I know that Nick Arbuckle didn't light the world on fire. I also think that, like, the situation with Bethel Thompson and Arbuckle there was 
was kind of tough and there was a very short leash on Arbuckle. And I do think that like a first year starter, I don't know. I think he deserved a little bit more time and they have bad games. Like it's fine. But I, I, I just, that's a guy a lot of people have believed could be a starting quarterback in this league and the Elks got him. So, you know, I, what are we talking about? You have Trevor Harris, who we've all heard sort of rumors about there being some issues in the locker room that surrounded him in Edmonton. And then you got Arbuckle, who's like notoriously like, like makes the Pope look bad. He's such a nice guy. Um, and <laughs> I don't know why I picked the Pope. I just couldn't think of him notoriously. Tom Hanks. He makes Tom Hanks. Okay, well, Tom Hanks, the infallible Tom Hanks. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> Pope was a bad choice. Um, yeah. So I, I think you're there. And like, I just don't, that was a great move by the Elks. Of all the bad things they've done this year, I, I like that move a lot. You you can start building around that player for 2022. I think they're probably going to have a lot of trouble re-signing guys because the experience has been so bad. So guys will be willing to take the same money to go elsewhere. Um, yeah. Unless they take a, an entire house cleaning regime, which I feel is coming. And I think the writers up in Edmonton have like are now saying, predicting that, okay, there's going to be some sort of a house cleaning. Because it's just been... It's been one thing after another in the Brock Sunderland era here that yeah. just me feels like that change is coming. So, and I don't think that I don't know if people outside of media realize this, like particularly for CFL, but I mean NHL is hard to compare because you have Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver where they're pretty pretty vicious. But like Edmonton is like they're not afraid to write what they think up in Edmonton. Like Calgary is notoriously a soft media market where we're very easy on the teams and easy on yeah. the owners. Like the Flames have won, what, one playoff series in all those years, and nobody talks about whether ownership is part of the problem. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> they're the only – but in Edmonton, that doesn't happen. And they are rightfully – and, like, look, I, there were, what, there were less than 10,000 people at Commonwealth this weekend? Oh, oh yeah. They yeah. – uh, the fans are speaking, the media is speaking. Uh, it's not acceptable up in the City of Champions. And um, you're right, it's a tougher media market. Now, they've, they've got some old old-school – go after it type of guys up there. Um, you know, the, I, I could name three or four, right? <laughs> it's like guys that do. But it's also the yeah. expectation of but the then, And then that makes the whole Eddie Steele um, situation seem even more like we could fire the one guy that was criticizing us that we could fire. The, and that was just a bad organizational move because the ultimately these media guys are holding you accountable. You, like you've set the standard for 50 some years of excellence, right? It's Edmonton's well, again, always been a anyone at any broadcast partner in this country would have been fired for doing what Eddie Steele did. I want to be very right. <laughs> but it just looks bad when it's Edmonton and you you should yeah. be above that because you take that and I'm saying that all, all I am saying is that the I look look, I, I believe they need to clear a house up there. I don't know that Elizondo is the problem. I don't. Um I'm not, I don't know if you get rid of him. I don't know if the CFL's ridiculous coaching salary cap allows for you to get rid of your head oh. coach after one year, really. Um, but like even, even fired coaches count against the cap? I believe so, yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, well, then they're in a worse well, situation. Well, like the salary that you have to pay them out obviously does, doesn't it? Like, I don't I'm. I'm speaking, look, that's been, what I will say is that's something I've seen, I have seen and read, but I don't. I haven't done any reporting on that. I mean, I happen yeah. to live in a place where like they don't really fire coaches. <laughs> like um, the most stable <laughs> coaching situation in the entire country <laughs> here. Well, uh, and that's the thing. And, and I've asked John Huffnagel about that many, many years ago. This is just an aside. And I was like, you never, uh, you never 
and that the funny thing was, it was, I asked them that we had, we actually would go out and have lunch um, at, at the end of every season and kind of break down everything and just have a good, you know, heart to heart chat, no, no recording or anything. It wasn't, it's was totally off the record. And he would, I just said one time, I was like, you never, you don't have a revolving door of coaches that a lot of other teams have. And he goes, well, if I hire a guy and he's working hard, doing a good job and he's loyal to me, I'm loyal to him. Like, I'm just, so that's, what's what you have. And that's how you have it work in, in Calgary. They've got Mark Killam, who's been around for 15 years. And, you know, up until last year, it was Pete Costanza. And then um, who else is Corey Mace is now locked in as an assistant coach on this team. And part of the community has been here forever. Delmonico's yeah. been here for, yeah. Um, yeah, Delmonico is another guy. Yeah, so it's, it, when he hires somebody and they're working hard and doing a good job, if, as long as they're wait, able to wait for the promotions, then he's going to have them in and, place. And again, like there will be at some point come off season, people will be willing to talk about what actually happened at Edmonton here. Uh, and I, 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 to go back to it, I, I do just think Arbuckle's the thing that you can start building around, which is a positive. Um, I don't, something happened there, right? Like there, that's toxic. Like that's bad the way that went, that went down. And like coming out of Labor Day, like they were right in the mix and then they just absolutely collapsed. And it, it, that, that doesn't tend to happen without there being some anger or like people not wanting to be there, broken promises. Like there's, there's enough smoke around here and it does seem like there's something toxic there that they, that they have to deal with. And I don't, I think that fan base is going to need to be satiated. Um, yeah, in a very and, way, but, and, but I will say also, sorry, like just let me, I, I'll yeah. keep going quickly. Dickinson has said when he's been asked about Winnipeg, he's been like, Look, they gave O'Shea time to fail, mm-hmm. you know, like there was not pressure on O'Shea in year one to become a great cup contender, so they gave O'Shea that time to build that culture, that time to build that stability, that time to, in the same way that guys come back to the stamps when they come back from the NFL. Like they did that in Winnipeg and they allowed O'Shea to, well, and I mean, top down, Winnipeg's done a great job. But that's why I don't necessarily know. Like, look, if you think Elizondo, unless you think he's absolutely part of the problem, like he's, he's part of one of those toxic elements, I don't, I don't think you can, you, you need to move on after year one. That's not going to be a one year fix. They've gone no. out and spent some pre agency in the last couple of years. It hasn't worked. You need to build a culture and, and you, you you ultimately like need to build from the ground up, reconnect with the community, get guys who are going to be there for a couple of years, make it be a place people want to play. And it's just not right now. Yeah. Uh, you no, know, that's a good point. And uh, I can't remember what point I was going to make. Everything seemed to unravel that now I got it. Everything seemed to unravel when they, they had the COVID outbreak. I know they came out of that outbreak and then beat the stamps pretty handily. But after, ever since then, it just, that was like, okay, we rallied together and we got through it. And then it seemed like your quarterback was one of the ones who wasn't vaccinated. And there was a bunch of discourse between like the prominent players, James Wilder Jr. Wasn't vaccinated, will not get vaccinated. Is And then it just became this, like, they didn't, they just lost, they lost their care, I think. And yeah. they, yeah, they lost their, whatever it was. As you said, you pinpointed that as the prime moment you know calgary regrouped went back in there on the labor day rematch and beat them and then they haven't been yeah they've been absolutely atrocious since so and i do believe that for anyone who thinks like there are going to be people who say like derek dennis need should have 
you know, kept his mouth shut a little bit instead of sort of talking about his contract situation and how they wouldn't release him and all of that. I don't think Derek Dennis is a hothead. He wouldn't be doing that if he had an issue with Winnipeg. He wouldn't be doing that if he had an issue with the Riders or the Stamps. You can do that when everybody knows there's a there's a bad situation with the team that you signed with, right? Like, he felt safe because he was like, nobody's going to think I'm completely crazy because everyone knows how much of a mess it is there. Right. So, well, I like I can tell that, you, talk to another player who didn't resign at Edmonton, who's also told me he's like, everyone wants out. Like it's it's a it's a horrible toxic place, and that's yeah. and I should also be careful. We're in a week where some really horrible stuffs come out of the hockey world, and like so that's yeah. toxic. I shouldn't be using the word toxic. Probably right now, it's something smaller than that. It's guys not, but because yeah. there's bigger it's, deals, it's, guys not liking each other. Yeah, but, it's a bad atmosphere. I don't think anybody's getting. Yeah hugely damaged by it uh the the funny thing is like i was thinking about it if they first thing i would do if i was gm of the eskimos tomorrow would be just Alks, at least the, Alks, 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 Alks. yes yeah sorry Everglades. uh <laughs> <laughs> if i was the gm of the elks i would just be like okay why are we in a dispute with a guy who's never played a game with us like let derek dennis go like just release him like that's what he wants he, did he actually sign his retirement papers? He must have. So if he wants to unretire, we'll sign the papers and just let him go back out there. Like, why are we holding a guy hostage? Because he doesn't want to play here. Like, guy doesn't want to play here. Let him go. Like, you, we don't want to be a reputation as holding guys hostage. So that's like, that'd be the first thing I would do if I was GM of the new GM of the Esk or Elks. Elks. Okay. It's a tough spot because I will also say that it's one where like, I sympathize with both sides. Derek Dennis also did sign a contract with them. Yeah. At least when they were in contention, the possibility that he would go sign with another West team who might be a rival of theirs. Um, right. You don't necessarily release a guy. Like, it's not just – obviously, just keeping him under contract and not paying him and having him sit out until this contract's done, like, it doesn't – nobody gains. But it might actually hurt you if Derek Dennis signed with another West team. So I understand them not necessarily wanting to do that. I just don't think he was going to sign with another West team. I think if he was signing anywhere, it was going to be with the Argos, where he knows everybody and is friends with everybody. Right. But I have no inside information on that. I haven't asked him that. No. But again, it's like if you have this situation, why, why would f- future players want to go sign there if you – decide you don't want to play there anymore. This isn't like a, a situation where they're making bucket like millions of dollars. Like, yeah, just let him go. Like, if he doesn't want to play for us, he doesn't want to play for us. He's not going to be part of our future. Fine. Like I, I, it's just a, it's a bit of an ego thing that, that, you know, on the outside looking in, it's easy for me to say, I guess, but uh, it's just, it's know, bad. For the CFL, we can't have the Elks can't have the league though. Though to be DB showing off of reputation as not being player friendly. So true. And it's just, I think it's bad for the Elks as a whole and part, hey, look, they've been a disaster this season. So I don't blame anyone in Edmonton for not going to games to be perfectly honest. I don't want to sit in no, Alberta and watch a go nowhere team, but like to be clear, you know, I keep saying someone tweeted about how fl- the flames attendance wasn't great. And everyone was like, maybe it's a pandemic man. Like did all that. Well, you know what? That has nothing to do with what's going on with the Elks attendance issues. Team no. Canada has two World Cup qualifiers coming up in about a week and a half. Both of those games sold out. People are like perfectly happy to go watch sports outdoors. Right. It is a reflection of the Elks, and that is a very concerning long-term. Yeah. Um, well, let's be face it. They haven't been entertaining. So 
it's yeah. entertainment and they haven't been entertaining. They're not even close to winning. They're not putting out anything that when they get the ball, you're like, Oh, this, nothing's happening. Like, well, can't wait for the punch. So not to go on a weird side tangent. Like I didn't, I, I don't want to overstate this. It's not like I had a bunch of emails about it, but the number of people who it's like the stamps do all these, like have all these interceptions and people are furious with Bo. They got to move on. They got to move on. So the Stamps go up against an Elks t- or a Red Blacks team that they know 100% can't really hurt them. And they play a conservative brand of mistake-free football where they don't turn the ball over. Results in a very comfortable win on Friday night. And I get a little bit of blowback from because I was like, look, you identified a problem. You worked to fix it. You knew that as long as you didn't turn the ball over – the Red Blacks yeah. had no chance. You were going into a bye week, win this game. It's that's what matters. Like it does sometimes feel like the Stampeders just can't win with their fans. Like, <laughs> and it's like a very small percentage of the fans, the majority of fans. But it's like one week we're mad about turnovers. The next week we're mad about a game plan that avoids turnovers. Like, right. oh yeah, no, and they, you know, oh, we should have won more Grey Cups in the last fifteen years. Well, like you know, how hard it is to win the Grey Cup. They won the most. They won the most of anybody in the last 15 years. They've been in the most great cups. Like your team goes to the great cup seemingly every other year. You know, you count 15 years. They've been in the great cup seven times, like seven, eight it was times. 2016 in overtime and 2017, like. It was a small game. So three yeah. crumbled. Like, right. Yeah. So no, it's. Yeah. It's going to be very yeah, funny. Like, like I often think, and like, I know we're kind of wrapping up here, but like, like. I like it will be. I love the Winnipeg reporters. I love everyone, but like, there's nothing funnier. And I'm sure that people felt this way about the Stampeders in 2016 and 17 when they lost the Grey Cups after like everyone just, you know, giving them foot massages and saying how great they were all all season. Um, there would be would be nothing funnier to me than like the Bombers losing in the West Final, like whether it's yeah. against the Stamps or the Riders, like it was like. <laughs> There's nothing that would make would make right? me laugh. It would just be a turnaround. Yeah. Well, they, so they what, probably what, deserve to win the Great Cup, but the way they're playing, I'm not saying that. It's just like it has been from TSN on down. And to be clear, if I was covering the the Bombers with the way they're playing right now, I'd be doing the same thing. There's no criticism, but it is like they can they can do no wrong, and yeah. them not winning the Great Cup would be very funny. Well, and it would be, uh, yeah. It, here's the weird thing. Since <laughs> since a Winnipeg Blue Bombers fan broke my heart, they've won 14 of 15 games, including a Grey Cup, and look like the Dynamo. So, yeah, it feels like, okay, that was karma, right? It was like, okay, Bombers fan, go out there and enjoy your life. And now that team has just been, like, absolute dominance. So, yeah, if you, uh, if you need to have the karmic reaction, maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But yes, it'd be karma for the reporters to get have to eat crow for all the you know criticism they've given us about the stamps and how they should have always win because they're they're so successful. So, and I'm not even saying eat crow is even stronger. What I'm saying I just think it would be very funny because yeah. I, I I continue to think. Look, again, I don't bet. I hate gambling. Um, but if you were like Danny, you have to spend a hundred dollars of your own money to pick a team to win the Great Cup right now. It's obviously the Bombers. Yeah, which is only going to pay like like fifty dollars in winnings, so yeah, it's not really worth the them, right? But I like 
and this is not actually a, a criticism of the Winnipeg based reporters because I don't think that they're saying this, but like the whole like idea that this is a the season's already done. Like, you know, you see the Rod Petersons of the world, which is like his job to do, being like, should we just give him the great cup now? And it's like, guys, like <laughs> Well, that the stamps were fifteen and one going into the final week a couple of years ago or final two weeks. Weren't they? Fifteen yeah. one and one? Yeah. Look back at twenty seventeen. They lost their last three games of the regular season when they'd already clinched first. But otherwise, right. I think they were also a one loss team going in. Like, there's lots that can happen. And I just honestly, like, I saw the stamps play them tight when the Stamps were still figuring it out. And someone has to show me that, like, why I should believe that this Bombers offense can put up big points against the Stampeders defense. And as we said earlier, it's where we started. So nice little circle here. I now think the Reggie Bagleton addition fixes a problem that the Stampeders had offensively. So I think that these two teams... No matter what, I'd pick it to be a field goal either direction. I think they're going to be very close. Yeah. And the, the game in two weeks might not mean anything, uh, but we'll see Bagleton and Mitchell playing for the first time. You might not even see Mitchell in that game. Like, if it doesn't matter, why would you? Well, yeah, you, we'll get the BC game first. Yeah. No, they, um, if they beat BC, then they pre- they've clinched a playoff berth, um, yeah. I'm expecting. And then... No, they will. The, they do. 100%. And then, oh, the Winnipeg game is not going to... Like, if they can't catch Saskatchewan, they're locked into third. Everyone's got their playoff positioning the last week of the season. It's not going to mean a whole lot. So, I still think there's shit you got to work on. I, I, oh, yeah. I don't think the Stampeders team can afford to sit anyone. Well, and, the, and that's the thing. Like, and you want to build some like timing and stuff with between Bagleton and the rest of the offense. You, you want your number ones in there as long as you can. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, great. Well, uh, we should wrap it up there. Uh, I've talked too much. I shouldn't admit that a Bomber fan broke my heart, but if anybody knows me, they already know. I just refused to comment (laughs) on that. I was like, I'm tired. I was not all weekend. I was like, I'm not commenting. Um, uh, All right. If we we want to talk about my heartbreaks, you know, we need a longer podcast. Um, (laughs) Well, that's the thing. And uh, none of them were football fans, though, right? It's. uh, I'm not going into it. We're not talking about this anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, have no, I have no interest in talking about it. Well, well, mine, mine was the biggest Bombers fan in the country, so everybody kind of knows who that is. Uh, I'm not talking about that. I, I got to talk to Reggie Bagleton in about 10 minutes here. Looking forward to that. Um, okay. Well, tell Reggie thanks for coming back to the CFL, and uh, we're going to appreciate all the big uh, plays he's going to make. So.